Would you guys just take a quick second to just give a little bit of appreciation to the worship team this morning? Didn't they do an awesome job? We're incredibly blessed. Our, um, our, our worship director, Justin uh, Roberts, and his family are on vacation this week, which we're so glad they have the opportunity to get away and rest because we value rest and we believe that it is holy, that it's commanded by God. But to me, what was interesting this morning was um, sitting here and, and being led in worship by all people from our church, and in particular, Emma. Um, to me, it was strikingly um, just this moment that welled up inside of me when I moved here uh, about five years ago, Emma was a, she was going into the seventh grade. And I can still remember uh, the summer uh, uh, going into her eighth grade year, I believe it was. She had gone to camp and she came back and she asked if she could take me to Scoops because she wanted to know if I would baptize her because um, she'd given her heart to Jesus and felt like it was time. And so it was just so neat and, and what a cool moment to see her um, lead us into worship. Uh, as, as a junior in high school, as just an incredible um, young woman following Jesus, um, it, it was cool, and it reminded me about um, the church should be a place in which is raising up young people that is encouraging them. So, Emma, thank you so much. And the beauty was this. Yeah, give it up. It's cool stuff. Can you probably remember where you were when certain events in your life happened? Big moments where where where, where either things changed or where something was so incredible you still to this day can't totally believe that it really happened. It was a Saturday morning at my house. My mom and my wife Hunter had gone shopping. My dad and I were sitting and we were watching college football. And my son Gideon was not even a year old yet. He was sitting in a bouncer. And as my dad and I were talking and watching TV... All of a sudden, there was a certain aroma that just hit us. You can probably guess what the aroma was. Now, when the aroma first hit us, I think we thought this was just a a normal situation that happens when you have babies, right? And so, as we finally decided we should investigate into this, Still to this day, I, I think that I wish I could have had some sort of physicist because I think the laws of physics don't still make sense to me. I still do not understand how something that can come from the south can be so far north. I honestly don't get it. And maybe someone who's more scientific maybe is smarter than I can understand it. Kids are messy though, right? Kids do something to you that even in their their stickiness, even in their stinkiness, that our love for them doesn't wane, right? That even though maybe when we see them when they're sticky, when they're smelly, when they're messy, that we in our mind would love to run away, or let's be honest, there's probably been time that we've called our spouse in and said, hey, you should check them real quick, i got to go somewhere. That it's interesting how love makes us run towards the mess, Right? Now, Jesus said, love covers a multitude of sin. I also think in parenthood, love covers a multitude of smells, too. Um, But as I become a dad, my son turns two this week, which is just weird, and I'm not really okay with it. Um, But that's okay. I'm having a moment still. Uh, I've realized that fatherhood in particular has, has helped me become more and more okay with messes. That sometimes it's okay when things are a little bit messy. That sometimes when a mess happens in life, 
that I need to engage it. I need to run towards it rather than run away from it. This morning we are beginning a new teaching series called Messy. And, and the whole big concept of messy is just the reality that life and faith is messy. I'll just be real with you guys. My life at times is a mess. Our laundry isn't usually put away. Our house is rarely clean. We rarely keep up with all the great habits. There are times in my own faith where I have seasons where I'm on top of the mountain and there are seasons where I'm more in the valleys. Life is messy. And here's the thing. Oftentimes what we want to try to do is we want to either try to close the door and hide the mess and just avoid it, or we just try to pretend that it's not there. We reach for perfection rather than presence. And here's the big truth that I want you to get over the next few weeks is this, is that in the middle of the messiness of your life, in the middle of the messiness of yourselves, Jesus does not run away from your mess. He runs towards you and he embraces you and he so much desires to help clean you up. And that's really, really good news. So over the next couple weeks, we are going to be exploring some messy situations of life, in particular faith. I've been reading this book, and I I, want to put up a quote real quick. It comes from a guy named Bob Goff. And he he writes this book called Love Does. It's a great book, but he just read a book called Everyone Always. And and this, this quote helped really solidify this message series for me. Bob says this. He says, I've spent my whole life avoiding the people spent his whole life engaging. Now think about that for a second. Because I'd be lying if I didn't say that was true. Jesus spent the majority of his life with the sinners. He spent the majority of his life uh, reaching out to people who were demon-possessed, who, 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 who had leprosy, who had different things. The social outcasts of the world that we in our normal everyday life would probably try to say we need to stay away from those people. The people that when we see out in the streets, we'd probably hold our children closer. Those were the people that Jesus went and he engaged. He took on the religious hypocrites and he took on the doubters, right? This morning I want to talk about doubt and how doubt oftentimes can be this messy thing of faith. And in particular, this thing that I think is almost like a swear word. Like when we hear that someone has doubt, we look at it as if they got some sort of like, uh, like someone said they have cancer. We view it as if like, oh gosh, if someone has doubt, keep them away from me. I don't want them to infect my children. I don't want any of that to happen. And I love this, I love this quote here that's going to come up. It says this, it says, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith that keep us awake and moving. Now, we played a game last week. Uh, if you reach underneath your chair right now, you're going to find some ants, and they're going to help really get us moving this morning. That's a joke. None of you guys even went for it. Come on. You all need more coffee. But truly, doubt is something that I think we struggle with, right? Because what, what is doubt? doubt? Doubt is this, this presence, this, this thought of, can I really truly 100% trust something, right? It's, am, I, am, I, am I completely sold on this? But I think sometimes when we view doubt, we, we, we automatically assume that if anyone has any doubt in their life, especially in their, uh, their walk uh, uh, with Jesus, that it must mean that they have just completely disengaged from Jesus. We worry that it's going to be this thing that is going to just lead them astray. Here's what it says in Jude. This is what Scripture says. It says, be merciful to those who doubt. Be merciful to those who doubt. Yeah, I think oftentimes 
we're not very good at that, right? I think we allow fear to grip us, that we get afraid that if anyone has doubts, we have to deal with it right away. We need to give them the answers as quickly as we can before they die of doubt. You know, a lot of us, I think, we we feel as if we have been uh, empowered to be lawyers for God. That we have to be the ones who are going to plead every case, have every answer. And while I totally believe that God has called us to know truth, to, 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 to study scripture, to, to know answers, I also think he, he calls us first to love. And that it's incredibly difficult sometimes to love a person through their doubt if we just want to spoon feed answers as quickly as possible. I think it's also a matter of perspective. I think we need to view doubt as an opportunity to deepen faith, not as the death of faith. I think sometimes when, when we hear about people having doubt, we think like, oh man, this, they have this terminal illness, it's all said and done. I, I heard about uh, my neighbor's kid, they had doubt, and they, they went down off the deep end, right? I'm going to share with you guys this morning uh, some, because I, I, I think it's, it's great and wise to look at both scripture, but also to look at statistical evidence. And I have some evidence this morning that's going to hopefully give us some, some, some peace about the idea of when we have loved ones that are doubting. Or even this morning, I just want to make space for the fact that some of us may come in this morning and say, listen, I still got doubts about different things. I still have doubts about uh, different, different pieces of scripture, different things about God. I have doubts because there was a situation that happened that I am not sure about. And I want to to say to you this morning, that's okay. Because you know what? I don't think God is. I don't think he's offended. And I don't think he's worried. And I don't think he can handle our doubt. In fact, I think he asks us to be honest with him. I mean, think about it. Think about how many times maybe we try to trick God. Like, just think about that. If God is all-knowing, he created us, he knows our every thought, our inmost, you know, desires and thoughts, why do we try to fake it? Does that really bring honor to God? Is that an authentic relationship? I mean, imagine if you lied to your best friend over and over about things. Do you really think that's going to build a, a, a good relationship? I think not. But I think it's because we must start to realize that doubt oftentimes will lead us on a trail, if we're willing to go down the trail, to strengthen our faith. And that if truly, if we believe that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, which he, he, he claims in Scripture then we have to be okay and we have to trust God that if people authentically are searching for truth, that guess what? Hopefully they're eventually going to find out that Jesus is the truth. So this morning I want to dive into some scripture. If you have a Bible this morning, you can open up to Matthew chapter 28 starting in verse 16. Because I uh, was reading scripture over the last couple weeks and something hit me that have never hit me before. And again, I'm not the brightest guy in the room, so don't, don't think that's like impossible or crazy. But it reminds me that oftentimes we can read Scripture over and over, and sometimes there are things that we still don't catch. So in Matthew uh, 28, this is the last chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. This is after Jesus had his death and his resurrection. He's, he's, he's been around and he is meeting with different people. And he's appearing to them, he's teaching, he's having meals with them. 
And this is right before Jesus gives his famous, the Great Commission, where he, where he tells, you know, his, his disciples, therefore all authority uh, in earth and in heaven has been given to you. Now go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Surely I am with you to the very end of the age. You've probably heard that before. I, 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 I probably teach on that scripture more often than some of you would like, but it's because I think it's pretty important. But right before you get there, because... Let's be honest. Anyone else read from a red letter Bible or in your app have the red letters? Sometimes when I do that, it's really great. But sometimes, if I'm honest, I, I don't look as importantly at the the black you know black words because I'm like, oh, the red words, Jesus' words, these are most important. And sometimes we miss things. So this is what it says. It says then then the eleven disciples, because there was twelve, and then there was Judas who betrayed, and so Jesus is out of the picture uh, at this point. He's dead. Uh, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. This is what, I, what, I, what I've read over a million times. But some doubted. But some doubted. Now, let's dive into this for just a moment, okay? So it says in Scripture here that the 11 disciples, the guys that Jesus spent his time pouring his life into. He brought them along so that way he could show them how they were going to live, how they would advance his kingdom after they left. These are the guys who witnessed miracles firsthand. They probably heard far more teaching from Jesus than we have ever been able to read because it wasn't all written. Not everything was written down. This is pretty crazy, right? And it says that the 11, out of the 11, some doubted. Now, some of you, uh, if you're a good biblical scholar, would probably say, well, Pastor, I've, I've also read that some scholars will say that there was, there was 500 brethren, and you read about it in, in, in one of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, and that this was probably that this larger gathering of, of people and that some of them doubted. Still, let's, let, let's just go on that hunch and say that that's true, right? The author of Matthew is very ambigu- ambiguous. There we go. I can say big words sometimes. About which disciples? He doesn't like, you know, like, we, we get Thomas later on who I feel bad for. He gets called out and, like, he just gets the name, like, hey, you're doubting Thomas. But he doesn't, he doesn't name drop. Everyone would have known the 11 disciples. So he doesn't name drop. And even if it's out of the 500, let's, let's just go on that benefit of the doubt. You're talking that there are people who at this point probably had saw Jesus do some crazy things while he was here on earth. And at this point are literally seeing the resurrected Savior. And some doubted. You know, oftentimes when we look at people and we look down upon people and we belittle people when they doubt, it's kind of funny and it's kind of sad. Because what's interesting is we see that throughout Scripture there have been people who were giants in the faith, people who walked with Jesus, touched Jesus, and they doubted. And never once does Jesus say, away from me. Get away from all of us. Every time he engages them, every time he deals with them, he's patient with them. And so the question is, how do we engage faith? Because how do we engage people who are doubting? Because throughout the Old Testament, you'll find people like Moses and Gideon who doubted. And God still used them for amazing things. In the New Testament, we find some of the disciples, even like Peter and Thomas, who, who, are, who are actually named in their doubt. God doesn't just banish them and say, like, sorry, you're done now. So what do we do with doubt? How do we engage with doubt if we ourselves are having doubts in Scripture and if we have loved ones or friends who are doubting? 
And, and, and just sort of an upfront thing, this, this message is not going to be, I'm not going to like hit on like hot topics of doubt. I'm not going to deeply get into the evidence of why you should believe in Scripture or, or why we can um, trust certain things. I, if you'd want to have a conversation, I would love to have a conversation with you about that. But I think sometimes um, our posture in dealing with uh, a certain thing like doubt sometimes is just as important or sometimes more important than having the words and the, the answers to people's questions. Here's why. So if I was to give you three ways that uh, we engage when, when people are dealing with doubt, here's the very first thing I would say. Ask questions. When people come to you and they are sharing doubt with you, first of all, let me just tell you, what a beautiful thing. That means that they trust you. When you think about it, if people are wrestling with, with, with faith questions, they're, they're wrestling with eternal questions sometimes. But ask questions. Here's why. First of all, sometimes it's important to understand, is the doubts that they're having a salvation pending issue, or is it just some sort of uh, issue from Scripture or different things? So, for example, in my personal opinion, if someone has a doubt about whether or not God created the heavens and the earth in a literal, uh, you know, seven-day, 24-hour creation story versus whether or not it was, you know, uh, the days were longer, different things like that, at the end of the day, that doesn't change who Jesus is. That's not a salvation-pending issue. And so when we ask questions, we can realize that if someone is having doubts about certain things like that, we don't need to push really hard on them on certain things because guess what? Sometimes we can do uh, more harm than good. Have you ever been driving in the snow or the ice and you start to veer a certain way and you try to turn the wheel real quick and you overcorrect and it becomes really bad, right? In the same way, we can do that when people come to us with doubts. They come to us with doubts about certain things that have that don't have eternal consequence. And we make it an eternal consequential thing. Understand and evaluate what is a doubt that has to do with whether or not they're going to be in relationship with Jesus, whether or not they view him as Lord and Savior, whether or not they're living a lifestyle that will lead towards holiness versus it's just some sort of biblical fact that we have opportunity to discuss. Same with the end times. Here's the thing, friends. There's lots of people who have lots of different ideas. I have my own thoughts on, on, on how the end's going to play out. The most important thing, though, for me, is that as long as you believe that Jesus is Lord and that someday he's coming back, that's it. Because guess what? We can't really affect what's going to happen no matter what. We don't know the day or the hour. There are different issues like that. Now, there are other issues that are salvation pending. There are other issues when, when, when people are hearing, well, is Jesus really the only way to the Father? Is there other way to be saved? I would say that's, that's a non-negotiable. That's one that we have to, we have to work through. But regardless, when people come to you with questions of doubt, when your children come to with questions of doubt, ask questions. Every time that Jesus was confronted with some sort of doubt, uh, when, or just in general, he asked them questions. Think about, there's a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a teacher of the Jewish law. And Nicodemus came in the middle of the night to come ask Jesus questions. And he asked some pretty, pretty bold questions. He's in particular asking about, does one really have to be born again? What does this mean? And it's interesting because most of the time when, when Nicodemus asks Jesus a question, Jesus uh, just responds with a question. And part of the reason I think it's important to do that and why Jesus oftentimes did this is it helps people come to conclusions on their own. Think about it. How many of us have, 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 
have had something going on in our lives and, and a loved one, maybe a spouse, maybe a parent, gives us an answer and says, hey, this is the answer. And for whatever reason, we don't completely trust it. But as we dive into it ourselves and maybe we hear from a certain expert or we hear from another person, we finally come to the conclusion, ah, yes, this is correct, right? Oftentimes it drives me nuts when I do that uh, with Hunter. I'll tell her something and she won't believe me and then her mom tells her and it's like, oh, this is right now. It's okay. I do the same thing with her sometimes. But, but I think there's something important about when people come to conclusions on their own, guess what happens? They own it, right? If, if people have been force-fed answers their whole life, if they get the because, if they even get the because the Bible says so, here's the thing, friends, whether we like it or not, we live in a, a post-Christian culture. We live in a time and an age where we can't take for granted that people automatically will view Scripture in a high place to say this is a place that like, we automatically trust. So to say a certain thing is, well, just, just read Scripture. It says this here. That doesn't mean that someone automatically will view that in the same light. So again, we ask questions. And oftentimes when we ask questions, we can get to the place where we realize things like Scripture actually can be pretty reliable because it's one of the most authentic texts from ancient culture. It's very well composed. There's a lot of good reasons why it's, it's trustworthy and valuable, even if you don't have a deep faith in God. But we ask questions and we let people come to their own conclusions because when we do that, guess what? They get to own it. Because again, if they're seeking truth and they're, they're authentically seeking truth, and get this, we're going to get to it in a minute, if someone's walking with them, helping guide them, asking good questions that are going to help lead them down different roads, guess what? They're going to come to the conclusions themselves and they're going to own it. Because they're not going to feel like someone was just forcing it upon them. They're going to come to a place and say, this makes sense. I, I choose this myself. I mean, oftentimes we see that, right? Where, where kids grow up in a church, they never ask questions, they weren't allowed to ask questions. Oftentimes, uh, good-meaning people just told them, just because. And when they leave off into the world, they never had a chance to ask questions. And they never had the opportunity to own their faith themselves. Here's the second thing that's important when, when, when we have someone doubting in our lives or we ourselves are, are doubting is we need to walk alongside people in love. Or we need to find someone to walk alongside us in love. You know, it's, it's phenomenally interesting how, again, there's times where when people have doubts, if they, if they don't take the answers that we give them immediately, we kind of are like, all right, if you can go over here again, I don't want you to infect the herd, so get away from me with your doubt. But it's interesting how oftentimes people have honest questions, and I can really appreciate that, and how lots of people really actually do want to have, have conversation about faith. People really do tend to really care and want to know about eternity. They want to know about, is there a God? They want to know about, can their sins really be forgiven? And you know what the truth is? Oftentimes, uh, because of past uh, experiences with different people, oftentimes unhealthy people, they get afraid that if they ask a question, they're going to get belittled or they're going to be told, uh, just believe. And oftentimes what they really need is they need someone who can, can process through things with them. Again, it's interesting. You know, there's this story uh, in one of the Gospels where Jesus is walking out on the water. And his disciples think that there's a ghost. And uh, Peter, one of the disciples, 
you know, he realizes Jesus and he says, Lord, if you'd let me, let me come and walk out onto the water. And Jesus, you know, calls him out. And, and maybe you've heard this story before. He takes the step and he's walking on water. It's pretty crazy. And uh, eventually, though, he starts to see some of the wind. He starts to see some of the waves and he gets frightened and he begins to sink down into the water. And do you remember how the story goes? And Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, you doubted. Now may you drown and die. No, he doesn't do that. I think he asks. I, I, I personally, when I read it, it's hard to read tone. But, I, but I, I think there had to be a sense of, why did you doubt? It wasn't a, you idiot. It wasn't, ugh. I, I think in some ways it was, why did you doubt? You know, it was, it was this genuine question, wanting to understand why, why are you, you're experiencing something no one else has ever experienced before. What made you come to a place of doubt? And the most beautiful thing is he picks him up. He doesn't leave him down in the doubt. He doesn't leave him in the mess that he's at. He helps him back out of it. And here's the really kind of crazy thing is, guess what? He continues to walk alongside Peter. Peter becomes the one who eventually calls him the Messiah first. He eventually becomes the, the, the person that Jesus says, listen, you are going to be uh, named Peter, which means rock, and the church will be built upon you. I mean, a guy who a huge piece of his story is doubt becomes one of the greatest leaders in the early church. But it's because he had someone to walk alongside him in his doubt. I'm sure, while we don't see it, that throughout the rest of that time, and he even denied Jesus later, But we see that Jesus never gave up on him. He never stopped letting him ask questions. He never stopped uh, helping him find answers. And that's what people need. They need people to walk alongside them in love. So the Barna Group is a a, a kind of research study group, and they do a lot of research on um, faith in particular, and and a lot of times uh, mainly here in North America and the United States. Um, And it's phenomenally interesting because I was reading, I'm not going to give you tons and tons of of stats, but... um, you know, it's interesting because most people, uh, probably close to 50% of people, have, have expressed that at some point in their life, they've wrestled with doubts in their faith, in particular in their Christian faith. Almost half. Now, again, I think sometimes it's one of those things that we don't want to tell people when we're, when we're going through doubt because we think we're the only ones, right? We see other people are like, oh, man, they're raising their hand in prayer like they must have it all together and have nothing, you know. And that's just not the case. Some, some of the issues of doubt, it, it, honestly, in my opinion, is the fact that, that, that a huge um, thing that, that can derail us in our faith isn't the fact that we have doubts, but is when we have doubts and we never deal with them. Think about doubt in the same way with conflict. When you have a conflict with a person, doubt is really just a conflict with faith. And again, if you have a conflict with someone and you never deal with the conflict, guess what? The conflict doesn't go away. It just continues to fester and grow, right? The only way you can really heal from it or grow from it is if you deal with it, right? You go at it head on. In the same way with doubt, if you just try to hide it, if you never deal with it, it's going to continue to fester. It's not just going to magically go away. And oftentimes when we have unresolved doubts, when we have unquestioned doubts that we haven't ever wrestled with, those are the things that can slowly eventually derail us and so when we walk alongside people in in faith that's a good thing but again it's it's a normal thing to deal with faith with with doubts but here's what was interesting uh this this is from Byron. it says for more than half of those who have wrestled with doubt 53 percent 
The time spent asking honest questions about what they believe about their religion or God made their faith stronger. For another 3 in 10, which would be 28%, it had no effect at all. About 1 in 8, 12%, lost their faith entirely. And a small minority of 7% said they held on to a weakened version of their faith. Now here's something that's good news in that, in my opinion. The vast majority of people either experienced an increase of their faith or they never lost their faith in general. Now what was more striking to me, though, was that there was, there was um, a, a, a separate kind of survey done within a survey that said people who came from a faith community grounded on Jesus Christ, that if they had a, a supportive person or group of people or church who let them deal with their doubt, did not belittle them, and walked alongside of them, about 80% or more of them said that they came out on the other side of their doubt stronger in their faith. I mean, that's just, that's evidence. You can't, you, you can't really argue with that. So what does that say to us? It says that if we're having doubts ourselves, we need to find someone and ask them, would you walk with me? Can I ask you questions? And maybe find someone who you think is a little bit more seasoned in their faith and maybe has gone through some of these and studied these things and do that. But also it means that when we have loved ones, again, when we see them as a mess and we say, oh, I don't want to deal with that, instead of that, we run to them. And we don't run to them to clean them up, but we run to them just to love them. We don't run to them and say, listen, I know you're going through doubts, and I don't want you to screw up your life, so uh, let, me, let me deal with you through this doubt. That's not a good idea. But I think when someone comes with our doubts, it's a very loving and beautiful thing to say, you know, I've gone through some of this stuff too. Would you like to get together and, and, and talk through some of this, and maybe we try to study through some of this? You know, there are books that are great that have to do with apologetics, have to do with different things um, with that. And I'd love to share those resources with people if they'd ever want to know. Or sometimes it's just saying, okay, you have this doubt. If we still feel like Scripture can be a place of truth, let's dive into that together. And just ask questions. Don't, don't leave them alone in it. Because oftentimes when people get isolated, that's when they, they not only does their doubt kind of overtake them, but I think they begin to say, does any of this even matter? Again, at the end of the day, Christianity, following Jesus, is a relational thing. Without the relationship with others and without the relationship with the Father, it's, it's nothing. Here's the last thing that we do. We pray that they will find the truth. You know, again, I, 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 I've come, come to realize in my own life that one of the things that I've been trying to repent, and repent means to, to turn around in my own life, is, is sometimes my lack of belief in the power of prayer. That if I'm completely honest with you, there are times where I don't think I pray truly believing in a powerful way. And Scripture does talk about when we pray with doubt and we don't acknowledge the doubt, that's not a very strong prayer, and it's likely not to be a very powerful one. But I think sometimes I, I, I don't acknowledge the fact, and sometimes I don't really pray with, with the possibility that God could turn someone from a Saul to a Paul. That God could take someone who is completely far from Christ and come back. That sometimes I've given up too soon, and I honestly haven't been faithful in prayer. But prayer is such a beautiful, powerful tool that we have been given. And when we don't use it, 
we shouldn't be surprised when oftentimes we do see people wander. There's a story in the Gospel of Mark chapter 9 that's super interesting. There's, there's this man and he, he has this son who uh, it says in Scripture is demon-possessed. And, and, and a demon has, has seized him and it, it violently throws him around. He said it's been thrown in the fi- he's been thrown in the fire at times. He's been thrown in the water. And this father is just deeply, desperately wondering if Jesus could maybe heal him. He doesn't know. He's probably getting to a place in his life where he has doubts about, is there anything out there? Because this is just awful. When Jesus is approached by him, Jesus says, he asks the boy, he says, how long has he been like this? He said, from, from childhood. Again, it's oftentimes that it's thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responds with a question. He says, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. And this is the prayer that the father of this boy gives. And I think this is a beautiful prayer. And this is a prayer that we need to pray. This is a prayer that we need to pray for others. He just says this. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Anyone resonate with that prayer? Because I do. There's times where things are going on in, in, in life and I have doubts. And I believe that God is good. I believe that God is going to take care of it. But there's still a bit of a doubt. I think there's something beautiful about the power of prayer that can help us overcome it. What's interesting later on is is the disciples, they they had actually tried to heal this boy first. And they asked Jesus, Jesus, how how come we couldn't do it? And he said, this is one that can only, this was a a healing that could only happen through prayer. For some of us, uh, for some people, the only way that people are going to completely deal with their doubt is not only to flesh it out, but it's just prayer that God will answer for them. He'll show up in a certain way. Because here's, here's, here's the big deal, I think, that's really important when it comes to doubt and it comes to faith in our relationship with Jesus, is that the goal is not belief. Because here's the thing. In Scripture, it also talks about that, that even the demons believed in Jesus. But the goal is a relationship. That if we just aim to get people to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that's great, but that's only half the battle. If we never get them to the place, because again, the some that doubted, they heard Jesus say, go and make disciples. If our hope is just to get people to believe something, but it never changes their heart, it's pointless. It's pointless. And the reason why we need to have a posture of relationship and love towards other is because it models to them who God is. That even though there may be still some doubt in their life about Oh man, is, is God going to come through in this certain way? Can I really trust this? When they have a relationship with Jesus, when they've had an experience with Jesus, that oftentimes can anchor them to the truth that they also find in Scripture. For me, it always comes back to this, is that, that at the end of the day, I've had a, an experience, a moments that I cannot explain other than that God is real, that His Holy Spirit was moving, and that Jesus died and he rose again, and he saved my life. And no matter what sort of doubt that I still wrestle with, I can't, I can't let that work go. So we need to seek to get people to meet Jesus. I believe that if Jesus is the truth again, that we must trust that if people seek truth, 
that they're going to find Jesus. That if they're honestly, earnestly seeking truth and you walk alongside with them, they have to find him. I want to close with one more quote from Bob Goff. And I thought this was interesting because, again, I don't think that God wants us just to constantly argue with people. I don't think he's asked us to not defend our faith. But I think at the end of the day, God doesn't really need us to defend him. But this is what Bob says. He says, arguments won't change people. Simply giving away kindness kindness won't either. Only Jesus has the power to change people. And it will be harder for them to see Jesus if their view of him is blocked by our big opinion. I love that because it's incredibly true and it's incredibly biblical. Your arguments, your answers, none of that can change a life. It's only Jesus. And what we need people to realize in their mess, we need people to understand and need to embrace, is that we have a Heavenly Father who runs to us when we have been off in a far land and we have been dirty and He embraces us. But again, if we're constantly in front of people telling them about certain things, we sometimes can get in the way of Jesus. Friends, don't let your opinions, theologically or, or politically, or, or, or any, any other way, don't let that get in the way of, of Jesus. Because again, Jesus will change hearts. Opinions won't. Arguments won't. Answers won't. Well-rehearsed speeches, facts, and figures will not change people. It's only Jesus. I'm going to ask that you guys stand. And uh, I'm going to pray before uh, we're going we're gonna to worship just a little bit more. But this morning, I again just want to, want to affirm in you, if you're, if you're going through some doubts, if you're dealing with some doubts, you're not alone. And it's okay. Jesus doesn't love you any less. In fact, he, he just deeply wants you to walk down that road. He wants to walk it with you. And he wants for you to just experience his love and his presence. And if you have friends who are dealing with that, maybe the first simple step is just to pray for them this morning. And then maybe it's seeking them out and just asking questions. Because one of the best things that we can also do is when we start to acknowledge the places where God is showing up in our lives, it's easier to have doubt be cast out. Would you guys pray with me? God, I just thank you so much for who you are. And God, I thank you for the fact that, God, while we can trust you, God, we can trust Scripture, God, we thank you for the fact that, God, you're gracious and you're merciful with us when we doubt. God, you're not afraid of our doubt. God, you don't cast us aside and you don't look down upon us. You don't leave us and abandon us when we have doubt. God, that in the mess of our lives and in the mess that sometimes doubt can be, God, you run to us. And God, you love us just as much. God, would we as people, as followers of you, do the same? That when we have friends and family members, neighbors and coworkers, God, who are wrestling with different doubts, God, would we be a people that models a God who is, who is with people, even through the messes, even through the storms? God, when they sink in the water, God, when they want to see the holes in the hands, God, whatever they're at, God, would we be that people? God, I pray this morning that, God, maybe if there's anyone in this room, God, who, who God has just been 
They've wandered astray. God, maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's, it's life has taken them. And God, maybe this morning is their opportunity to just embrace you as Lord and Savior. God, we just we, we thank you and praise you for that. And God, if, if there'd be anyone in this room who's, who's at that place, God, would they know that all they have to do is just they reach out to you and just say, Lord, Lord, forgive me for the sin in my life. God, the things that have, have blocked, that I've put in my life that have blocked me from you. And God, I just want to, Jesus, I want to make you Lord of my life. God, we'd celebrate that. Or God, if there are people who have wandered astray, God, maybe this morning is time for their homecoming. God, wherever anyone's at, God, I pray that this morning, God, they would just experience your Holy Spirit, that they'd experience your presence. And God, most of all, that God, that there would be some sort of encounter this morning with you that, God, maybe they can't explain other than the fact that you are real, you are good, and you love them. God, there are 10,000 reasons and more to praise you. But, God, this morning we especially just praise you for Jesus and his sacrifice and his love. It's in his name I pray. Amen.